Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whipek, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have on with us Jeff Powell. Jeff, good morning to you. Good morning. And so Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. So Jeff, a lot of really interesting things happening in the uh, markets, also uh, just in the world at general. And one of the things that uh, keeps popping up time and time again is uh, talks about inflation. I know this is something that we've uh, talked about previously, but I was hoping is if you could dive uh, in a different direction on this topic and, and perhaps uh, just bring everyone up to speed in case they missed some of our previous conversations on inflation, on what it is, really how it's measured, but then also going into what do we do with this? Now that inflation has been here for a little bit, how does the U.S. try to keep it under wraps, under control? Yeah, so let's kind of start off with a discussion of what exactly inflation is. I think that, you know, setting the foundation probably makes the most amount of sense, but um, and then we can get into the, the, you know, how it impacts people and, and, you know, what what we see going on going forward out of it. Um, but to put it really you know, mildly, I mean, the, the Federal Reserve has been using a term called transitory inflation rather than just the word inflation. And really what they're talking about there is that they believe that uh, the inflation that we're experiencing, the rates that are, are uh, going on right now are temporary um, in nature and that they believe that they will normalize soon. But when we are talking about the word inflation, really, you know, what you're talking about is a deterioration of a person's purchasing power over time due to the increase in prices of the goods that they're purchasing. So we saw uh, both in June and in July uh, inflation rates uh, that we haven't seen really in 13 years. Uh, It was up to 5.4% on a full end CPI figure, which is... uh, Uh, stands for Consumer Price Index, which is how the U.S. government measures inflation uh, on a a yearly basis. And Jeff, uh, when we look at just historically, um, we've enjoyed really low inflation for uh, over the last decade, and now we're seeing inflation numbers come in much higher. In fact, uh, in some cases, double, triple what they have been in the past. And yet, when we hear from the, uh, the chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, he doesn't seem all that concerned, and that's where that transitory uh, word comes in. Why is it that so far we've seen everyone pretty, I guess, uh, lax about the inflation that we're seeing? What are the expectations there? Well, I mean, prior to uh, our numbers that we had, I mean, we were down to almost 0%, you know, right as uh, COVID hit uh, with the economic shutdown, we basically had uh, almost recessionary figures that were going on. Uh, and so when you look at where we were even earlier this year in 2021, we were in the one and a half percent range with inflation. And then all of a sudden uh, we saw this, this spike happen really over uh, the last three months that we've really seen kind of a, a bigger figure number going on. And really what, what most people are saying is that they're associating this, this spike in inflation rates uh, mainly due to a couple things. It's all COVID related. Let's just put it that way to start off with. But it's really kind of a disruption of supply chain uh, as a major thing um, as a result of the economic shutdowns that were done on a global basis. And then really kind of trying to, to get the engine started again. It's it's kind of backfiring a few places here. The engine's going to need to warm up a little bit before it's really going to be uh, working. 
And so you also have you know, kind of a disenfranchised worker a population that hasn't returned to the work, workplace, even though work is available to them. So it's those two things in general. So a great example, and, and actually one of the larger influencers on inflation right now are used car prices. So if you've seen anything in the news, or if you've had to go out and try to buy a car yourself, wow, you know, we had a, a major issue with new cars. Uh, there was a chip uh, supply issue uh, to the major auto manufacturers, not only in the United States, but also on a global basis. Uh, but it's really been impacting US and European car manufacturers more than just about anything else. So if you're producing less new cars, uh, you're going to have to sell, you know, you still got a, a demand, uh, and that's going to be used cars. You also talk about a demographic shift of, of moving populations from cities into the suburbs, and they're going to have a, more of a need for transportation. So you, you throw both of these things uh, onto the same fire and all of a sudden you've got prices of used cars, uh, which were the largest part of what went on with this, the inflation figures that we've seen. Um, you saw them skyrocket. You had over 10% uh, year over year price increases uh, two of the last three months until the July numbers uh, that just recently came out. So um these numbers actually were quite low in july so we're, we are starting to see a thawing on what's going on there which again uh because of the temporary nature and what we believed would be going on we've seen that but another example is lumber prices and we've kind of hit on this in our webinar and we've also hit on this with other things but uh what you may not know is that lumber prices have now normalized back down to levels that were pre-pandemic uh, prices so we saw prices in the kind of $450 uh, per thousand foot of lumber. Um, and it went down to about 250 uh, in the midst of COVID. And then it skyrocketed almost up to $1,700, only to fall back down to 450 again. So we are seeing a lot of you know, what was you know, pushing prices up to now being in a situation where it's not so bad anymore. Yeah, and Jeff, I appreciate that you described that these are really COVID-related items. Um, and so and that certainly gives a lot of hope in the sense that when we can start getting past COVID and some of the, uh, I guess, the impacts that's had on society and our ability to produce goods, that certainly makes a lot of sense that we would see those pricing pressures go down. And uh, the lumber example is a great um, representation of that. So we're also getting a lot of talks about labor shortages and uh, certainly something that's uh, taken the, the media over by storm. Can you talk about what is the issue there and what seems to be the driver? Well, I, I think that we've got a, a couple of different issues. Um, you know, we have had unprecedented uh, levels of support for people as we shut down our economy. And, and don't take this as judgment. I mean, uh, to me, it was a, a complete necessary evil. I mean, it added trillions to our debt, but in order for our economy to survive in the slightest, sm uh, supporting small business owners, supporting people that were unemployed, helping them with housing, uh, the real estate investors that, you know, that rely on that income, it was all necessary. Uh, but really now that we're seeing an opening of our economy, um, you've got the largest job vacancy rates that we've ever seen. And so uh, I think it's kind of a combination of a few things. I think that the timing of it, we're just now seeing schools, uh, public schools, going, uh, kids going back to school. Um, you know, in some cases, kids are not back. Uh, but in, you know, this week is kind of the, the week where you start to see a lot of children going back to school. So 
imagine you're barely scraping by, uh, you're offered a minimum wage job versus getting unemployment benefits, which are actually higher than what on a, a minimum wage is. And then you also then don't have to sit there and pay for childcare for your, your child to be out of the house. So from just a basic economics of what would be best for that person, why would they be motivated to go back to work when they can make more money and have more flexibility by not going back to work? Now, the issue there, uh, however, is in a matter of a few weeks, unemployment benefits are going to end. A lot of the safe havens for non-evictions and other things for not paying for rent are ending. So these same people who uh, have not been looking for work, um, I think will become very motivated to do so uh, in the weeks to come. Gotcha. And with these labor sh uh, shortages both caused from just people not able to go back to work and some choosing not to go back to work, has that also tied into some of the inflationary numbers where we've seen uh, just the wage to get someone to fill a position go up across the board, especially in uh, more of what's classed as a blue collar type job? Yeah, there's there's no question that that's the case. Um, I mean, if you look at some of the supply chain issues that we're dealing with still to this day, food is a great example. Uh, poultry prices have basically doubled. Uh, the average uh, price per pound is over $8, where pre-pandemic it was more like four and a half. Um, and that's directly related to not being able to actually uh, get people to work and do certain jobs. Um, the supply company Cisco um, has reported having issues and supply chain issues to restaurants because again, uh, labor shortages, they just don't have enough people to do the things that are necessary in order for them to distribute food, especially to rural uh, restaurants. They're having a much bigger issue with regard to that. So you're seeing it across the board and, and small business owners who have open positions. Uh, we've talked about before, you know, a few different people that we have as clients that are running great companies and need qualified employees and they're not finding it. But you're also finding it in things like truck drivers. I mean, a, a one of the reasons why there was prediction that gasoline prices were going to rise as much as they were was A, we were seeing an opening of our economy, so more people driving but also because we didn't have enough qualified drivers to drive hazardous material in the form of gasoline. So yes, it's definitely a real issue uh, when it comes to that. But again, the expectation uh, for this is a, a belief that we will be back to uh, kind of a normal over the course of the next several months. Yeah, got it, Jeff. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. And so it sounds like uh, time will uh, do what it often does, which is to uh, right some of the uh, the pressures that are causing the inflation. Let's say for a moment that that didn't happen, that we didn't see inflation drop down as much as expected or if it stayed at these elevated levels. What are some of the steps that the government and the Fed can do to fight inflation, to try to right the situation, uh, so to speak, to get inflation back to the healthy levels that they target? Uh, it's an excellent question. It's one that, you know, again, if we're looking at uh, the responsibilities of the Federal Reserve, a lot of people kind of don't fully understand what Chairman Powell does. And, and you know, really with him and the other regional uh, presidents, uh, they're tasked with kind of a, a pretty difficult job, which is to keep the economy on the straight and narrow, to not have inflationary pressures, 
but also to not uh, inhibit inflation to a point where you create a recession. And so they have multiple, multiple, multiple levers to, to play. Um, sometimes the U.S. Treasury comes into play also uh, with this and, and how uh, the government can also try to control inflation. But, you know, from a historical standpoint, really the two main levers uh, that the Federal Reserve has used successfully, one is, uh, is buying or selling treasuries. Uh, so they will actually buy uh, from the open market, which is kind of strange because you got one government entity buying from another government entity. Um, but uh, from there, uh, the other is really to raise rates. So when we talk about um, rates, we're talking about Fed funds rates. Uh, and so the Federal Reserve is the largest lender. They lend money to the banking system. The banking system then lends money uh, to corporations and to individuals. Right now, rates are between zero and a quarter of 1%. Uh, quarter of 1% is also known as 25 basis points. So when we talk about basis points, uh, 100 basis points makes up a 1%. So when we're talking about this right now, rates are as low as they can go. And, and so what people are saying is if we were to see inflation, the Federal Reserve would uh, take on one of two things. They could either sell um, into this. So if you're selling treasuries, you're creating, you know, you're putting more money out there. So the prices go down, yields go up, making uh, lending much more expensive because most lenders base uh, their lending on the 10-year treasury. So for forcing the 10-year treasury yields up, that would inhibit lending, uh, or at the very least, it would make it more costly. Now, why does that matter for just a moment? Well, if you think about it in this terms, Jeremy, I mean, right now, you know, you're, you've probably got a mortgage that's in the 3% range, just to use round numbers here. Imagine, you know, again, having to pay 6%, or seven or eight percent versus your three percent, you would have less disposable income to spend on other things other than servicing the debt of your mortgage. And so that's one thing that the that the Federal Reserve does play around with is you know the the cost to carry of debt either through the manipulation of treasuries, and I mean that manipulation in the, in the best of ways, you know, trying to push yields up or down based upon buying or selling uh, that, or to raise rates. Yeah, and Jeff, and I think another thing that's really interesting, um, we talked about in previous podcasts, I believe in the US there's three trillion and then worldwide there's about $5 trillion in cash. And so if the Fed were to sell bonds, right, it would also remove some of that excess cash that's in the uh, in the economy. Um, and that could also help to dampen some of the inflation since it would have the effect of uh, pushing down some of that demand pressure that's certainly causing uh, some of the pressures that we're seeing right now on inflation. Yeah, no doubt that's a, a, another great uh, statement to sit there and, and really talk about because if you are taking away uh, the cash reserves that are sitting on the sidelines, then they can't spend it. So um, it is something uh, that I think the Federal Reserve is kind of keeping in mind with with what's going on right now. Yeah, and Jeff, I think the other thing too that you brought out that I really want to uh, to emphasize is that there's a lot of fear right now with the inflation, and I certainly can understand for those people that are earning half a percent, a tenth of a percent, in some cases one one hundredth of a percent in the bank, and so seeing inflation rear up um, can be pretty alarming. Um, but uh, you've talked a lot about how there are ways to combat inflation, and something that we've already covered, but I think it's worth mentioning again here what are steps that people can take to try to counteract some of these pressures? So 
I mean, the one thing that I would throw out is that you never want to be arrogant about your investing, you know, insisting that you're right and everybody else is wrong is, is a really good way of being separated from your money. So if you are sitting in cash and you think that you're right, that there is going to be a correction or something else of that nature, maybe not be, you know, maybe not shoot for being completely correct. You know, why don't you, why not start hedging to a degree? We've talked about getting money to work and those types of things. And really what you're, what you're betting on is the fact that, uh, that you'll see a large enough correction in the markets uh, and have the fortitude to step in when the markets are down uh, in order to make money in a circumstance, which is really not human nature. I mean, when the markets are down significantly, there's a, a fight or flight type of environment when most people and they want to flee, which is one of the reasons why they're sitting in cash to begin with. And then they will see, you know, they won't put their money to work and the markets will return and then they'll be back in that same situation of sitting in cash. And really what they don't realize is what we refer to as the silent killer, uh, is that the, the, this inflation is slowly deteriorating uh, their buying power over a period of time. And in doing so, I mean, really what you're talking about in the situation uh, is they're going to wake up a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, whatever, and just simply not be able to buy the same things that they were able to otherwise. And so really the best way of, of combating inflation is growing your money. And so when we when we look at this, I mean, when I've talked to people and they say, oh, well, you know, what if you're wrong about inflation? Okay, what if we are wrong? You know, how do you want to invest your money? Right now, we've already taken some steps and some measures, uh, meaning that we have, have, you know, we don't have the same bond exposure that we typically would. Uh, the type of bond exposure we uh, to take on a very technical basis and try to eliminate uh, downside risk as a result of, of our investments. Uh, but really, if you were to sit there and, and be in a situation right now, you'd want to kind of wait and see a little bit, you know, maybe wait a couple months to make sure that the, that the numbers that we're talking about that were correct and, and not. But if, if rates stay up after, you know, two, three, four more months, then, okay, get rid of some of your fixed income, maybe even eliminate it. Uh, the fixed income that you do have, maybe you shorten the duration of it uh, in order to not have the volatility uh, as rates go up of having big price moves uh, against your fixed income. From a historical standpoint, oh, the stock market does almost as well in a rising and straight environment that it does in a declining. But what you really want to be looking at is to get out of the way of highly debt-ridden companies, and you want to be also uh, you know, involved in areas of the market that have historically done well based upon that. So things like commodities uh, would make all the sense in the world uh, to be investing in in that time period, but also uh, some areas of, of the growth market would make a lot of sense because most growth companies tend to not have uh, much, if any, debt on their books. So if you're doing a, a rotation of a lot of short-term uh, debt in order to leverage in, uh, your business, if rates start going up, then you're in big trouble. You're gonna be sitting there having much lower margins because your cost of carry is gonna increase. So you wanna understand what to avoid and where to put your money uh, in order to grow up. But from a historical standpoint, you're talking about a 1% difference in the markets uh, during rising and straight environments versus declining. So pushing your money further away from fixed income and more into uh, the stock market is one of the best ways of dealing with it. And again, then you're in a position where you're you're protecting your buying power by outpacing inflation and growing your portfolio. 
Yeah, and Jeff, thank you for that. And it certainly makes a lot of sense. And uh, we've thrown this out there before, but I'll say it again. If you're someone that's listening and recognizing that your portfolio is probably not positioned in a manner that it should be, especially given some of the changes and the, the macro pressures that we're currently facing, it's always please uh, reach out to Jeff, myself, or anyone at Polaris. Be more than happy to do a complimentary portfolio review and analysis for you just to see what's working and more importantly, what isn't expected to work so that we can work together to make proactive changes to get in front of some of these change, uh, some of these pressures that are now mounting. Jeff, any last advice or information for the audience? I think one of the most important things is to always be prepared, uh, period. I mean, I think that it's one of the defining statements of how we operate as a firm. We don't react. You know, what we do is we have different game plans for different environments and different circumstances. And so by having uh, a kind of game plan for, for different circumstances, it allows for you to not be reactive. And it also allows for you to sit there and have a, a plan of action. You know, it's kind of an if then kind of a scenario. So if this happens, then we're going to do this. If this happens, you know, something else happens, we're going to do X, Y, Z with the understanding that, of course, no plan is perfect. And you're going to sit there and want to uh, tweak what's going on there. But uh, have a plan of action. So it, it, again, right now, we believe that inflation is transitory. Fantastic. So what are you going to do when rates normalize? How are you going to invest your money? Uh, you know, if they don't normalize, what are you going to do? And have a plan of, of, of attack for either one of them. Uh, as you said, we already have those things in place uh, as an investment uh, team. We, we've already worked these things out. Uh, that all being said, I think that really kind of uh, if you don't have that need our assistance with it, it's a great conversation to have with your your financial advisor here at Polaris Wealth Advisory Group. So uh, that's kind of where I would leave things for for our day here. Um, and, uh, you know, best of luck with trying to figure it all out. Well, as always, Jeff, really appreciate your time and expertise and just giving us a better understanding of some of these uh, inflationary pressures that we're currently facing. My pleasure. So and to uh, everyone that's uh, been with us today, thank you so much for your time. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.